We're continuing in our God is Great series, and I have us now in Psalm 33, so if you'll turn there with me. And we have been delighting ourselves in the stunning attributes of our God. And my prayer has been this, that all of us are drawing closer to God, even while we're awed by God. And I hope you're seeing together with me that there's nobody like our God as we walk through these attributes. What could be a more worthy pursuit in your life than pursuing the God who first pursued you? What would be a greater aim for your life than to want to know him and to walk with our God? And all of this, of course, is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus given his life for us on the cross that if we turn from sin, trust in him, we can know God and get to know God better. So, so far in this series, we've seen some amazing things about God. We saw early on that God is holy. We've seen that God is love. We've seen that God is omniscient. We saw last time that God is omnipresent. And today we're going to talk about the fact that God is omnipotent. And so let's dive in together now. Psalm 33, picking up in verse 1. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. We're on our way to talking about God being omnipotent. But the first thing I want us to see is this, that God is to be joyfully praised. God is to be joyfully praised. So he's great indeed, but let's remind ourselves, this isn't just an academic exercise. We're not playing theological trivia when we look at these attributes of God. These things should move us as we think about God's greatness. This should produce worship in us. It should cause us to erupt in praise to him. Did you notice the grammar here? This is a command to praise in, in uh, Psalm 33. We're even told how we are to praise. We're to sing to God. We're to give thanks to him. We're to even use instruments. We're to sing new songs to him. We're to have shouts of joy. So it reminds us that the Psalms really are a songbook. And so we have all these songs. There's a prayer journal, but it's also a songbook. Now, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, you know, I don't, I don't need the music in church. I'm just about the word. You just give me the word. And I'll, I'll, I'll even come in late because I don't need the music. I just want to get into the word. And I, I appreciate the sentiment of that, that you, you understand the priority of the word of God. And even our worship should be biblical. But there's something wrong because that Bible that you say you affirm tells you you need to sing. You must sing. Something's wrong with your theology. It might just be you love doctrine. You, you like the meat of all that, but it's not moving your heart because the psalmist here tells you you need to be singing praises to him. He says with a harp of ten strings, sing to him a new song. He even tells us there are reasons why we are to praise. We're to praise him for his word. That's a good reason to praise him. His word, he says, is upright, meaning the word is right. The word is in harmony with the nature of God. Not only his word, but we're to praise him for his work. His work that's done in faithfulness. Then verse 5 tells us some other attributes of God that should give cause for worship. We should worship God because he is righteous in his justice. Did you notice the wording here? He loves righteousness and justice. That's good to know. Because we're in a world that craves justice. And we see 
inequities around the world. And, and yet we know in the heart of God, he loves righteousness. Our God loves justice. It's just another reason why he is worthy of our worship. Wouldn't it be wrong to withhold worship from our God? Wouldn't it be wrong to delight yourself in distractions throughout your life instead of delighting yourself in God? So very practically, let me ask you just a couple of questions as we apply this to ourselves. Do you praise the Lord when we gather like this in our worship gatherings? Do you praise him? Because you know it is possible to come and just be a spectator as other people worship the Lord. So do you praise God? Is there something going on that you would call praise when we gather like this? How about this? The other six days of the week, are you one who praises God? Is that what is going on? In fact, that might be why it's difficult to praise in here or next week in there if we're not used to praising God and worshiping him every day of the week. So let me encourage you again to make sure you, you schedule and guard time with God every day of the week where you pull aside in the, in the presence of God with his word with the purpose of relationship. God, I want to read the word for relationship. I want to know you. I want to draw close to you. And listen, in his presence, in his word, you're going to praise. Praise happens in the presence of God because you're, you're getting caught up in the greatness of who he is. Now, we understand this. When God commands us to praise, it's not that he needs it. We know that God doesn't need anything from us, but we need it. We need to be in his presence. We, we get into his presence and we're awed by who he is. We love him and we know we need him. We understand he's great, but all of us are ordinary. We know that he's holy, but we're all redeemed sinners. We've been made holy by, by God himself through the sacrifice on the cross. He's the potter, we're the clay. He's the vine, we're branches. So in his presence, we're just caught up in praise and worship to him. So something's off if we are not led to joyful praise and glad submission to the Lord when we think about who God is. It's merely academic if we're not having not only our mind moved, but our heart moved. Martin Lloyd-Jones warned pastors of this danger of studying God and not coming under the power of these truths. So I'm taking this warning to heart. I hope you'll take this warning to heart as well. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, to be very practical, I am prepared to assert that the moment you begin to find yourself regarding Christian truth as merely a subject for study, you've already succumbed to the devil. The danger confronting the pastor preacher is the danger of a professionalism, which leads to a theoretical academic approach. He goes on to say this, we are really dealing with the danger of ceasing to come under the power of the truth. The moment you cease to be under its power, you've already become a victim of the devil. I must apply that to myself as a preacher. If I can study the Bible without being searched and examined and humbled, without being lifted up and made to praise God and to feel as much of the desire to sing when I'm alone in my study as when standing in the pulpit, I'm in a bad state. This is the truth of God. It is the power of God, and we should always feel something of that power. And so you and I, when we study these great attributes of God, it should move us to worship God. In fact, here's the reminder from Psalm 33. This is what it's all about. He is great. We are commanded to give him the worship that he's due. So first of all, God is to be joyfully praised. Secondly, God is to be praised for his unlimited power. And this moves us now into this attribute of God, his omnipotence. And it is amazing. And so look at verse six with me now. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Let's pause there. 
you already knew that when you came in, but that's so familiar to us, we think, yeah, God made the heavens and the earth. <laughs> but I want you to catch the wonder of that. Look at that again, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. That's stunning. And by the breath of his mouth, all, the, all their host. Verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And here we see God's omnipotence that he created the universe. He created the earth. He created the stars. And so what would display God's great power greater than for us to spend a few moments just thinking about his work in creating everything. Think of it. From nothing, God created everything by his speaking it. He spoke it into existence. Verse 6 again. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the breath of his mouth all their host. Verse 9 again. He spoke and it was done. The earth, the sun, think of it, the moon, the stars. And we're told the reaction the whole earth is to have, we're to be in awe of him. We're to fear him in light of what he does. And this reminds us, of course, of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, and here it is. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Imagine it. God wills it. He speaks it, and it happens. There's no power greater than this. And God, of course, kept on creating through those six days of creation. And so the stunning power of God is seen in his creation. So let's talk now about this reality that God is omnipotent. Two simple definitions I want to give to you from two different scholars. One scholar defines omnipotence this way. God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all his holy will. In other words, God can do anything he decides to do. That's amazing. Another scholar said it this way. God is all-powerful and able to do anything consistent with his own nature. A.W. Tozer elaborated on it. He said, since he has at his command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. There's nobody like God. He never tires. He never goes, whew, that was, that was tough. You and I do that. It's all easy for God. God has all power. So the power of God is a consistent and constant theme throughout the scriptures. 56 times in the Bible, the word almighty is used for our God. And then there are these other statements throughout the Bible that describe his power. Let me give you just a sampling. Psalm 24, 8. The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Or Psalm 115, 3. But our God is in the heavens. I love this. He does whatever he pleases. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Answer, no. Jeremiah 32, 17. 
Ah, Lord God, behold, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. And then God says it to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Or Ephesians 3, 20, Paul says this. God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So God is unlimited in his power. Think of it, no limits to his power, and it's very different than us. Some of you are exercise people. Some of you lift weights. You exercise, and, and you might talk about how much you can bench press or how much you can, how much you can lift, how many push-ups or pull-ups you can do. And what you're doing there is you're talking about your strength, but every time you talk about how much you can lift, you're saying, that's my limit. I can't do any more than that right now. I'm going to keep training that maybe I can incrementally be able to lift more, but, but I have limits, and my limit might be higher than your limit or your limit's higher than mine, but we human beings, we have limits. God is unlimited. Or how about when you help somebody move? You ever had that experience, you help somebody move, and you go, oh, no, I think that's a sleeper sofa, you know. <laughs> I, I thought that was, I thought that was just a sofa. That's a sleeper sofa. By the way, when you're helping somebody move, you hope they have cheap furniture. The good stuff's heavy. I don't, I don't like that, man. But, uh, but a sleeper sofa, and you, you start sizing up. I, I I'm, I'm no match for a sleeper sofa. We're going to need about eight of us on that one. Or moving a piano. You're like, I, I have limits. I can't, I can't do this. God has no such limits. Do you know whole cities have limits with power? Some parts of the world, they'll have to like, your, your part of the city doesn't get power until 3 in the afternoon. We're going to give that power to somebody else. There's just not enough for the whole city to have as much power as they need. And so we're going to have to do some rolling blackouts so that we can spread out the limited power that our whole city has. God has no limits. We see this throughout the scripture. How about Mary? When she learned from the angel that she was going to, she was going to conceive and have a child. And she's like, how is that possible? I am a virgin. What did the angel say to her? Luke 137, with God, nothing will be impossible. I heard that when Jesus talked to his disciples and he said, it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Then the disciples asked, well, then who can be saved? And then Jesus said this, with people, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is out of bounds, out of limits of God's power. He created us, and we see that there, but he even rules over creation. Verse 10, the Lord nullifies the counsel of of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. That's a great verse on the sovereignty of God. And I'm going to hold that for next week. We're going to talk about the sovereignty of God, this great attribute of his next week. But then there's another great verse tucked here. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. And of course, that's a statement for Israel. God's own people, and we know how blessed you are as a nation when you have God as your leader, and we understand this wasn't ever said to America, this was to Israel, and we understand this, we're the people of God as the ones who've trusted in Jesus, and we're so blessed to have him, but it, but it does create in us a longing, oh, don't you wish we were ruled by God himself? There's a coming a time when Jesus will indeed rule his earth, but right now we live in this brokenness here. In fact, this week when we see Supreme Court decisions that we know are going to erode, further erode religious liberty here. We think, ah, this is not a righteous uh, government. This is not how I wish it were. I, I wish Lord Jesus were reigning over us physically as he one day will in the future. But it makes us remember this is not our citizenship here. 
that we, we are citizens of a higher kingdom, all of us. Whatever your passport says, that's not, that's not your true citizenship if you are in Christ. We belong to a higher kingdom. We have a king, King Jesus. We have a different value system than the values of the world. Oh, we're blessed that you and I already know our Lord. But back to this focus on power. Look at now with verses 13 through 15. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He's great. Verse 15, he who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands their works. So we see God's power in creating. We see God's authority over all that he's made. We remember that God created nature and the laws of nature, but we know he has the power to, to supersede those laws, to suspend those laws. So we remember all the miracles of the Bible that show us God's omnipotence. How about when the children of Israel were released from slavery in Egypt? We remember those 10 plagues. That was the hand of an omnipotent God. That parting of the Red Sea that we saw at the very beginning of this series on the greatness of God. What a great miracle of God that was. Manna from heaven, water from a rock. Is there anything too difficult for our God? Or how about when Jesus walked the earth, the miracles where he did things like this, walking on the water. Or when he healed diseases and he had power over the demonic and he would even raise people from the dead. And then, of course, his own resurrection from the dead. God's power unlimited. Nothing impossible with him. And again, here's the definition, one of those definitions on omnipotence. God is all powerful and able to do anything consistent with his own nature. So here comes a question, a practical question. Sometimes a person will ask, well, can God really do anything? And maybe it's a little bit of a debate they want to have. And, and then you would want to say, well, there are some things God cannot do. And the scripture says so. So Titus 1, 2, God cannot lie. <laughs> so remember the definition here, God is all powerful and able to do anything consistent with his nature. It's not God's nature to lie. God cannot break a promise. Aren't you glad? It's, it's, it's his nature. And he would never want to. He can do all things that he wants to do. All things in accord with his, with his nature. Well, we also know that God cannot be tempted to sin, James 1.13. So Jesus, of course, God in the flesh, he had temptations coming toward him, but of course nothing in him that would say, well, I really want to do that. And so God cannot be tempted to sin. 2 Timothy 2.13, God cannot deny himself. These are things that would go against his own nature. How about these? Maybe you've heard these illogical statements where somebody says, well, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? Well, that's just absurd. That's not according to the nature of God. That's not something God would will to do. Anything God desires to do, he can do. Can he make a triangle with four sides? That would cease to be a triangle. Those are just absurd statements, and we wouldn't waste our time with those. God can do anything consistent with his nature. God can do anything he desires to do, and there's no limit to his power or his ability. He is so different than us. But then finally, let's consider this. What difference does it make in your life, this reality that God is omnipotent? Well, it should show up in practical ways. Listen to the word of God. Verse 16 now. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him, here it is, but we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. 
Be sure, again, all of these attributes we're talking about are not merely topics of study. Here's the question. Do you actually trust God? And if not, who are you trusting instead of God? Now more than ever, it should be very clear to us that God alone is the one worthy of our trust. The world is broken. Are you seeing it? There's nothing and no one in this world that deserves our trust more than God himself. Listen, we've been humbled as an entire world by a virus, and we're still in that humbling by that virus. Our government has been shown to be weak. I appreciate the efforts that they make, but certainly not omnipotent and certainly not omniscient. And, and, and we have all over the country varying levels of decent leadership to poor leadership. And we think, I can't have my hope in government or civil society has been shown to be weak. Our inability to give equal justice to all people. And that's not just the American problem. All over the world, we see inequities around the world. I wouldn't want to put my hope there even the inability to maintain order. And we, we think, what is the problem? There's sin at the root of all of that. And so my, my trust can't be there. I can't even trust in myself. I wouldn't want to hear all this about the omnipotence of God and say, and I know what I'll do. I'll trust in me. Be a big, big mistake. Trust in God. God's power is unlimited. Listen to these verses again. Verse 16, the king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. So even the king not to look at his armies, and there is where I will put my hope. Verse 17, I love it. A horse is a false hope for victory. So what a great military tool a horse would have been in these times. And we could say something else, an, an F-16 or an F-18 or whatever. We could say even that would be a vain hope. But maybe you have some vain hopes in your life. You've been trusting in some things other than in an omnipotent God. Maybe you've been trusting in your job, and that's been your source of confidence or maybe your friend group that you have around you, or maybe it's been your bank account, or maybe you've always been really healthy in your physical strength. Maybe you're young. You say, my youth, that's what my confidence in. I'm not like the old people. I'm strong. Listen, trust in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord. Trust in him to save you. Trust in him to give you the power to live out this life. Listen, that's an exhortation throughout the scripture. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Or Colossians 1, 28 and 29, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, I love this, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. We work by his power. Or famously, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let us not live by our own power. Let's also not make the mistake of only attempting things that we can do in our own strength. Do you remember the Great Commission and how crazy that would sound if it were not to be carried out in the power of God? Remember, Jesus told them, you need to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And in that statement, in, the, in, the Acts, in Acts 1, 8, we find that he says, you're going to receive power and then you're going to go out and reach the nations. And then it was at Pentecost when they indeed received the power of God. You and I want to take on anything God gives us to do. Because we're not going to do it in our own power. We're going to do it in his. And just a final couple of thoughts here. Back to verse 1. Did you notice this? Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Well, there's a problem. I'm not righteous. How do I do this? I'm not righteous on my own. 
praise is becoming to the upright, that excludes us, but it reminds us, oh, but there's one who has the power to make us righteous. There's one who can cleanse us. God has the power to save us. And I'm so glad the Bible tells us this. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God has the power through the gospel of Jesus Christ to save us, we who are sinners, to make us righteous. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. All this gospel, the power to transform us from sinners into the children of God. Or 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So how stunning it is that God could create the universe. It's just as stunning that he can take us who are sinners and make us a new creation through faith in Jesus Christ. He has the power to save us. He has the power to help us to live this life he's called us to. Is there a besetting sin in your life that I just cannot break? free. Listen, there's an omnipotent God making his power available to you to help you walk out of that as you trust in him. Maybe you have some kind of addiction that you're fighting. I can't break it. Listen, an omnipotent God. If you know Jesus, an omnipotent God there to help you break free even from addiction. And then this final word, there's more power to come. Aren't you glad that Jesus is coming again? And when he comes again, he's coming in great power. There is our hope Revelation 1, 7 and 8, and this is where we'll close. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. Here it is, the Almighty. He's awesome. Well, let me ask Pastor Tommy to come now and close out our time of worship and prayer. And as he's coming, would you be thinking about the decisions God's leading you to make. How does this truth of God being omnipotent, how does that change you? What should be your move there? And of course, he's mighty to save. Would you put your faith in Jesus? Pastor Tommy, come and lead us in prayer.